Hello there, woman beings, and Hello. welcome <laughs> to another episode of Not Your... Wait, is it moms or mothers? Moms. Moms, moms Book Club. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, and let's get started. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community. Where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds without expectation or judgment. We will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. All right, woman beings, I'm here today as Emma (laughs) (laughs) with Kelly Ann. Hello. And Kelly. Hi. And we are drinking and talking about books, and I barely had anything to drink. <laughs> Not that you can tell. She's already slurring her speech, people. We're just. I don't even understand what I'm doing. Yet. You don't even know. <laughs> you don't even understand. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> so, as we do with Not Your Mom's Book Club, we're going to start out talking about what we're drinking as we break the barriers and the stereotypes of the wine drinking middle aged women doing a book club together. <laughs> While we also drink, but really talk about the book. Mm-hmm. So, Kelly, what are you drinking today? Uh, today I'm drinking a gin and tonic because I recently had one for the first time and discovered that it was liquid gold. So, Tis. And I Kellyanne agree. makes the best gin and tonic that I've ever had. So. Oh, thanks. So Appreciate flex that. for her. <laughs> Kellyanne, bartender. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the alcohol friend, I've learned. Um, you are. She texted us before we arrived here and listed like six different alcohols that she had available if we didn't bring our own. She's also the everything friend, let's be real. She's yes. the, the glitter friend, she's yeah. the face she friend, she's the anything clothes you friend. Need, she's got it. You know? True. Any That's recommendation. The kombucha friend. Any, any, yeah, she is there to provide. So speaking of. <laughs> glad. <laughs> What are you drinking today, Kellyanne? I am drinking a glass of champagne. Uh, I discovered there is... Not champagne. Not champagne. Which is a Schitt's Creek reference, (laughs) in case you didn't know. Um, But yeah, Trader Joe's has a $5 bottle of champagne that I think is better than the, like, $20 $20 bottles of champagne. Was that from our comparison night where we compared it different sure champagnes? It sure was. Nice. It sure was. So, If you want a fun activity to do with your friends, buy different price ranges of champagne and try all of them. Yeah. And then you and decide the best one. Yeah. And then surprise, the cheap one was the best one. Trader Joe's comes through on their alcohol That's selection. That's true. Trader yeah. they Joe's really, do. really comes through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> Gosh, I'm dying. <laughs> but um, I am drinking a rum and ginger, which Yum. is shorthand, as uh, the bartenders say, for a rum and ginger ale. <laughs> um, in, case, in case you haven't noticed a theme, I pretty much have had rum in my beverage every time because it's sweet and delicious. I so. agree. You can't really go wrong. She's a rum gal. I'm a rum gal. I get it. It's just one step closer to being a pirate, which is really what I, I want. Was, I was going to say. <laughs> she's like, channeling Captain Jack Sparrow yeah. in if, her heart. I mean, there's no one better to channel. <laughs> really. I agree. Well, anyways. 
<laughs> we could talk about Pirates of the Caribbean all day. All day. 100%. But what we're really all here day. to talk all day. <laughs> talk about all day. <laughs> what we're really here to talk about is totally different. Very different. And it's The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. <laughs> I hope I'm saying her name correctly. Some part of me wants to say Benet, but I think in interviews I've heard them say Bennett. And so Benet like Benet. <laughs> yeah. It's so similar. Or beignet. Or beignet. Beignet. And I think because the book starts in like Louisiana, Louisiana yeah. and you have like the Creole sort of New Orleans French mm-hmm. thing going on, it makes me want to say Benet. But mm-hmm. she's from San Diego. So probably Benet. Probably Benet. Probably Benet. Probably ben. <laughs> That's a safe, safe guess. Yeah. Um so we read this book. Mm-hmm. We um, did. It has been at the top of many bestseller lists. I think it was on I might be wrong, but I think it was on the New York Times uh, bestseller, like, number one for 37 weeks straight. Wow. Yeah. Which is, like, quite the accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, it is her second book. Her first book came out when she was only 26. So when she was our wow. age. And then she got the deal to do this book as well. Cool. Nice. And she's working on her third book, in case Ooh, you're wondering. Amazing. Well, and the um, book also came out, like, two weeks after... The death of George Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was very timely in its mm-hmm. conversation about race mm-hmm. in what the country was currently experiencing. Yeah. Um, yes. Which was not necessarily her intention, uh-huh. as she has said. Yeah. She started writing it like four years before yeah. that. But it was oh, kind yeah. of incredible how um, how those two events collided. collided. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So to sort of like briefly summarize the book. <laughs> also, if you haven't read the book, go read the book mm-hmm. and then listen to this. Um, if you don't want to be spoiled, because we're going to give you spoilers. We're going to tell you about the book. So, <laughs> yeah. And then all of the things This is not a spoiler-free <laughs> book review. No. I've seen those before. This is not this one of them. This isn't it. They exist. You can go find one. <laughs> Let's get real, though. That's why. You, that's not why you came here. Yeah. You want us to tell you what's up. You mean so. you want the dirty deets You want the us. dirty deets, so. <laughs> dirty like a pirate. So dirty like a pirate. spill the tea. Yeah. And <laughs> really hopefully champagne. not our drinks. <laughs> um, okay. So this book uh, starts out in a little town called Mallard in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a town that's so small, it's not even on any maps, um, not even really considered a town officially. And in this town, it's sort of this bizarre ecosystem uh, that's been isolated where um, people of color have slowly sort of intentionally, like, married and, like, partnered with people who are lighter skinned in order to create what they call in the book a more perfect Negro. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the, the history of the town is that it was um, um, founded by a man who was the child of a slave um, having relations with her owner. And then he was light skinned, but was not treated as a white person and wanted to have a community for people who were lighter skinned um, to like sort of be able to elevate themselves by having light skin because dark skin was frowned upon, obviously, because the United States is racist. So, <laughs> and it's um, in the Jim Crow era, is where it's yes. mm-hmm. written. So it's kind of like right there in the heat of um, yes. all of segregation and things like that. Yeah. So the the book is set in. It starts out in like the 1960s and spans up until the 1990s, mm-hmm. uh, but. 
the that's sort of the origin of the town and it centers around uh these twin sisters who are descendants from that founder of the town on their mother's side and uh these two sisters are su- very very light-skinned um and they are like seen as like sort of prizes of the community because they are so very fair um and fairness is very prized in this entire community um you see a lot of colorism um, and a lot of sort of uh, internal racism within this African-American community as they reject people who are darker skinned, even though they come from the same cultural background. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole premise of the book is that these two twin sisters decide to run away from home at the age of 16. They decide they're fed up with living in Mallard. They don't want to be in the small town anymore. They don't want these restraints. And the more quote unquote rebellious sister, Desiree, uh, convinces her twin sister, Stella, that they are going to leave under the cover of night and just and and just skip town um and the book starts actually with Desiree being about 10 years older than that so in her in her probably late 20s with her now child returning to the town Mm -hmm. and um through many series of events uh the sisters part ways after living in New Orleans together uh, and the one sister, Stella, who's the more reserved one, she's the shyer one, she's like the intellectual, mm-hmm. uh, she chooses to abandon her sister Desiree and live her life as white passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she chooses to sort of reinvent herself and quote unquote become white. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then Desiree actually chooses to go in an opposite direction. She moves to D.C. and marries a black man, uh, which is like um, a total rejection of the way that she was raised. Mm -hmm. Uh, And her mother even talks about uh, things like how uh, there's there's no way that a relationship with a dark man would work because Mm -hmm. they are not good, essentially. Um, That colorism coming in again. So it starts out with them, but the story jumps a lot. Uh, there's, I think, six or seven different, or maybe eight different parts. Well, different parts of the book where yeah. it's yeah, chopped yeah. up um, that are like, and then there's chapters within those parts. Uh, but it it skips times and follows these sisters, but then it also follows these sisters' daughters, mm-hmm. um, who are Kennedy is the daughter of Stella and her white husband, who then wind up living a very affluent life. And then um, Jude is the daughter of Desiree and her African-American husband, um, who she winds up leaving because he is abusing her. And Jude is then raised in the town of Mallard, which Desiree retreats to after being abused by her husband. And Jude is very dark-skinned and very rejected in the town Mm -hmm. of Mallard. Um, And so it follows... Both the sisters and their daughters mm-hmm. are sort of the four main characters of the entire story. And um, it's it's a very sort of like um, character-driven uh, story. It's not really plot-driven. Uh, it, it feels at first like maybe it's going to be sort of like a, a mystery, almost like... Uh, when will these two sisters come back together? What's going to happen? Will Stella get found out because she is white passing? But it turns into more of kind of a, a meander through these people's lives mm-hmm. um, of just just sort of uh, seeing their lives and all that they are. And this book is about so much more than just race 
but um, it dives into domestic violence. It dives into LGBTQIA matters. It delves into um, nature versus nurture and um, education and all sorts of different things, class. And so that's <laughs> the very, that like doesn't even scratch the surface, I feel like, of all the things that this book does and talks about. But that is my over. <laughs> arching wide angle view i think that was great that, thank yeah, you very well put yes. <laughs> yeah thank you i thank felt you. like you rehearsed that so. i didn't wow <laughs> i mean i've thought about it if you did that would be okay too yeah I'm just okay because you nailed it well yeah. i'm telling you i didn't so <laughs> even more so impressive. i'm just amazing it's fine <laughs> no no um but i have been you know ingesting information about the book over yep. the past couple of days so um it also touches on feminism which yes. a little yes. bit which is Awesome. And we can talk about that as well. And there's also love stories. So mm-hmm. there's a lot. A whole heck of a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> so let's start out. I've talked for too long now at this point. So I need to hear from you guys. Uh, what was your experience reading the mm-hmm. book, each of you? What is sort of your your initial thought and your impression? Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I finished the book, full disclosure, about an hour ago. So um, <laughs> I've been hustling and just filling in all of the, my spare time with finishing this book, which I've actually, I actually enjoyed. I think I appreciate like the meandering quality of it that you mentioned and that it's so thoughtful and like it takes its own time, I guess, was yeah. how I would describe it. Um, and I, I love stories like that where you sort of like get that internal brain mind process um but yeah like lots of great themes in the book I think um one thing that's interesting that I learned is that there's actually like tropes in literature of people who are white passing Mm -hmm. and usually they come to some sort of horrible fate Mm. and um I was reading the author's intention for Stella was not to, like, punish her at the end, but to allow her to make her choices and, like, live with the consequences of those choices, which essentially is just that she, you know, had to forsake her family yeah. and the people that she loved for a better life and, mm-hmm. and other people that she loved. Like, she loves her husband and she loves her daughter, and um, but she's never, like, truly herself because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she kind of, like... She sympathizes with Stella, but also, you know, acknowledges that there are consequences that come with, like, pretending and putting on a Mm -hmm. face for the world. So, but, I mean, I would say the same for Desiree. It's like Desiree makes her own choices, and she has to live with the consequences of, you know, being poor and having, I mean, it's not her fault that she had an abusive husband, but, like, she has a very different life, Mm -hmm. but... um, but maintains those close relationships with her family. So, um, yeah, that was really interesting to hear her, to hear the author's process after I read the book. Um, Mm -hmm. And it brought a lot of, like, life to it and um, more meaning to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting because I don't know that I've – I know. I haven't ever read a book that, um, like, talks about the idea of being white passing – um, I've like talked to people about it before who are like white passing and they they are mixed race or whatever and um, or even like 
uh, friends that I have who are lighter skinned, but who are African American and like the way that they get treated versus other people and um, who might have darker skin. And it's made me really intrigued to read other stories that have to do with that. Um, Totally. There's a book called Passing, I think, um, that I've heard talked about as I've um, like researched about this book and uh, it seems really intriguing and they even bring up in this book uh, how uh, other people from this town of Mallard like they had heard stories of other people who had been white passing um, but the stories they heard they only heard because those people failed and mm-hmm. because they came to like you're saying some sort of terrible fate um, And that if someone were successful at white passing, you wouldn't actually hear their story because they would have separated themselves so much because you can't have those links that bring you back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did not love the book. Um, Say it again. Let me. I did not love the book. Um, It's not my kind of reading that I would just enjoy and pick up for funsies. Um, I do want to say, though, that I really appreciated the author's perspective, the clear time she took in crafting these characters, articulating the story. She did a very good job. It is very well written. Um, I just, if we're going to talk about microaggressions, like I want to pick up a book and educate myself about microaggressions. Or, you know, if we're going to talk about um, racism, feminism, issues within the LGBTQ plus community, like I want to pick something up to educate myself versus like fiction. I want to like, I don't want to try to like pick it apart, which is more on me. Um, But I think I did appreciate a lot of the microaggressions you saw, especially, I mean, throughout the book, but specifically in the beginning, because mm-hmm. um, my husband is actually mixed. And so he and I have experienced a lot of interesting things actually on both sides, on the African-American side and on the Caucasian side of the coin. Um And so seeing her articulate those things felt very validating to me. Um, But, yeah, it's not – for me, it's not just, like, fun, light reading. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think that my impression from Britt Britt Bennett's writing (laughs) – Britt Beignet's. Britt Beignet. (laughs) My impression from Britt Bennett's writing is that she likes to sort of play with that idea of – of of touching on issues but not mm. really giving her opinion yeah. and not really giving you a black and white. Yeah. She really loves to walk in that gray space. And um, as I've heard uh, about her first book, which is called Mothers um, or The Mothers. It's called Mothers or The Mothers. And it's about two mothers who are friends and one of them has an abortion mm-hmm. and the other one doesn't. And I think the one who doesn't uh, is pretty like... In, in opposition to the idea of an abortion. And so mm-hmm. I think it, it plays in that tension, but um, I've heard that in that book, she also sort of doesn't really draw a line yeah. in what is right or what is wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and so that seems to be something that this author really likes to do. Yeah. Um, but I get that that wouldn't be, that's not necessarily what everyone would enjoy. Totally. And I appreciate that. I really do. Like it was clear to me she wanted to start conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think she has succeeded in that. And I think yeah. that is very important um, 
for someone that is trying to navigate more of that and have the conversations, I'm like, okay, I'm already here. While I really appreciate this work and Mm -hmm. the intention and the clear craftsmanship, I want to like move more towards the educational piece at this point in my journey. Yeah. I feel, I mean, I feel like it was actually really cool to read a book that was more ambiguous in the way that this was. Mm -hmm. Because I think our culture is so saturated with like, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And then in that we're polarized in what we believe is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. It's nice when you just like hear a story Mm -hmm. and there's not judgment either way and you're like, okay, yeah, these are people navigating their lives and trying to decide, like, is this best for my kids and my family or is this best for my kids and my family? And honestly, like, we don't get a right answer. That's You know, this is life. There isn't, like, no one's there to tell you either way. And you make a choice and you you live with that choice, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I appreciated that there was a – it was like a discussion on race – but it was about these characters who, because of being black, had their whole lives, like, surrounded by this topic. Like, it's, it's mm. not something that you can necessarily escape when you're not of the white descent. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, like, interwoven very implicitly throughout. And I, I don't know. I think I wish we had more stories like that and more films like that. I think I feel like our culture is moving to, you know quote a mentor that I very much admire like our culture is moving so much in this direction of like every story or every film or every book has to have this like very clear message and it has Mm -hmm. to make a point and it has to punch you in the face with what it thinks Mm -hmm. it was refreshing I thought to have a have a book that didn't it didn't tell you either way yeah yeah that's fair it was a very it were very human stories and I did I did like that as well Mm -hmm. um just this particular topic I was like I just want to learn. Yeah. You know? Totally. Yeah. And um, speaking of films, HBO has picked up this book uh, to make a miniseries out of. Oh, that's going to be good. And I hope it's good. I'm excited. I'm very intrigued to see how they cast yes. um, Stella and Desiree because they need to find actresses who, first of all, twins. Well, they don't have to find twins. They don't have to find twins. It would be really cool if they did. They need to be women who could pass as twins, at least. Yes. Um, Maybe they might switch it up to make them not identical. They could use the same actress as well. Or they could use the same actress. But it also has to be someone who is very, very, very light skinned. Yeah, but also African American. Yeah. yeah, but could pass right. as, white. as white. So it's it's. Mm-hmm. It, I'm like, who are they gonna? How are like, they gonna find? Is it gonna be gonna... Meghan Markle? Like, <laughs> are they gonna cast Meghan Markle? Maybe for real. Maybe. <laughs> um, so that'll be interesting to see um, for sure. And also how they cast Kennedy, which is Stella's right. daughter, who is still technically has that African American. Bl- blood genetics Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it in her Mm -hmm. but she is also considers herself white her the her entire life and she's Mm -hmm. blonde but like i i wonder if they're gonna find someone who has some of the qualities that would yeah um indicate that she is not purely caucasian yeah that's an that you brought up kennedy Mm -hmm. kennedy is an interesting character and one of the things that i loved that was very implicit like we've been talking about is she like comes doesn't come to terms with the fact that she's not white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
because she eventually finds out, like, oh, my gosh, my mom is not white. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, I have those bloodlines. Mm-hmm. And But she doesn't, she doesn't, like, embrace it or reject it. She just. It's very interesting. Yeah. Like, there's she no. She picks it up when it's convenient and puts it down when it's not. Totally. Yes. Totally. Which is, like such an indication of her privilege mm-hmm. because she grows up as an affluent white girl and then finds out that she has this other cultural background yeah. that she didn't know about. And so then she sort of, yeah, she's able to put it on and take it off whenever she wants because yeah. she has that privilege like of already for her. being white. Right. Yeah. But I feel like she also doesn't really get closure either. No. Like, because really. her mom never really Stella never really is open and honest with her about it she like shows her proof and she's like I don't know who that is yeah like a picture there is the implication that they have a conversation Mm -hmm. when Stella picks Kennedy up at the airport um right towards the end of the book after she's Um, been in Mallard yes Mm -hmm. after Stella has returned to Mallard for the one and only time that she ever returns Mm -hmm. and uh she picks Kennedy up from the airport and says, all right, during this drive home, you can ask me anything. But it yeah. doesn't give us, in- if you don't get it to get, see that you conversation. You get no details. And no. you're like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> so you can assume Kennedy has asked some things. But also knowing Kennedy as a character, she's sort of floats between just being disinterested mm-hmm. and sort of only really uh, caring to ask things that are going to serve her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she's a pretty selfish character in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, but you do. there's a line that I thought was really interesting in the book on page 266 of the Kindle edition, um, <laughs> talking about Kennedy. So Kennedy becomes an actress, and the line says, she only played white girls, which is to say she never played herself. Mm-hmm. And so this, to me, gives me a little bit of insight. This isn't necessarily speaking for Kennedy but it gives me that insight that she doesn't feel 100% comfortable in her whiteness mm-hmm. um, because she she knows that there's something um, that sets her apart, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And it's very interesting, too, because there's this whole concept um, that uh, having like one drop of like blackness makes you black. Like that, like that's something that was written into laws mm. um, during like the Jim Crow era and stuff. It was like if you could trace yourself to a certain um, family lineage where you had African American relatives, then you were considered black no matter how white you looked, mm-hmm. and uh, that prevented people from voting. That prevented people from buying property, all sorts of different things. And so, like someone like Kennedy, growing up in that time, like. I I imagine that her way of coping with that to an extent is like, okay, I have this drop of of blackness, but like I have to sort of hold it close to my chest and kind of like push it away because that's going to take away my whiteness that I've been so comfortable mm-hmm. with for so long. But at the same time, though, by the time Kennedy is going through that, it's the 80s and 90s. So like, yeah, it's. It's technically not the case yes. that, like, she would have to sacrifice anything. She lives in California. She's not in, the, like, the Deep South. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So. And but, she also lives in New York City, which is also yeah, very New York progressive. City. Yeah. And so it's, like, she probably, like, had a lot of space to, you know, like, process that, talk mm-hmm. about it, explore it. Um, I mean, but th- I think that's just, like, maybe a comment on just how deep 
racism is in our country is that mm-hmm. even even when there's like political freedom mm-hmm. yeah. to to be black or to be um i mean of any race other than white um mm-hmm. like you you maybe like push it down or ignore it yeah, yeah. i think though also like yes she had the freedom but also like to process that probably and like figure that out but also like seeing the way she was raised her mom Stella like throws a fit like when a black family moves in across the street and so I'm I would imagine that she has those things ingrained in her yes and so that shame of like oh I could be like them Mm. even though the wife that lives across the street becomes a very near and dear friend to Stella, but Stella keeps it secret. Kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. And is like, oh, no, I'm not friends with her. Yeah. But she feels a comfort and a familiarity with this person mm-hmm. um, that she denies. And so Stella, or sorry, um, Kennedy is caught in that weird right. dance and seeing how her mother lies to her father about it and the community and anyone else that they interact with. Yeah, for sure. And so, like, okay, I really want to talk about what you brought up. Um, so Kennedy Kennedy is a fascinating character to me um, in, in that she, she grapples with this uh, concept of, like, having uh, a racial identity that she didn't know about. Uh, but she's also raised in this community of affluent white people who are sort of, I would say, consider themselves to be the good white people in that oh, like, we don't hate black people. Like, we, we're we okay with them. Like, they should have their rights, but, like, they need to be over there with mm-hmm. their rights. They can't be near us. Yeah. So, so like, the, you, you see them talk about, because this is all happening under the backdrop of MLK being assassinated, yep. of riots, mm-hmm. of um, people protesting, and African-American people fighting for their rights. Mm-hmm. And you see... Uh, the affluent people in this wealthy L.A. neighborhood uh, expressing like, oh, yeah, like they should have their rights. But like, I don't understand why they have to be so violent about it. Mm -hmm. Or like, I don't want them to like come into my space. Like Mm -hmm. they can go to that school over there. They don't need to come to our school. Yeah. Like they can go to that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They don't need to come into ours. They still have great black schools yeah. on their side of town. Yeah. They don't need to come to our side of town. There's just like total ignorance really. Yeah. Well. yeah. 100% like, they're ignorant. so like sheltered from the real world in their very wealthy neighborhood mm-hmm. that their well-intentioned ignorance is like the problem. Yes. And Stella and- is so committed to living her white life mm-hmm. that she is quite aggressive towards that and Really, internally, she's afraid that it's going to reveal something about her. Yes. There is a passage in the book that talks about um, one of the first times Stella ever passes as white. Mm -hmm. And it's going to this museum. And she walks into the museum um, on, I think that they said there's there's a specific day every month or maybe every year where it's like colored people day is what they call it, where people of color can come into the museum. Otherwise, they have to enter through a different entrance. And Stella tries walking in through the white entrance Mm -hmm. and just goes in and without any questions. Mm -hmm. And then as she's perusing the museum, a African-American security guard sees her and sort of like recognizes that she is actually 
one of him, if you will. Mm-hmm. And he winks at her and she's like, I've been found out and freaks out and leaves. And um, there's a line in there that says uh, something along the lines of uh, like, your people will always recognize their own. Mm-hmm. And um, she's terrified that if this African-American couple that wants to move into their neighborhood moves in, they're going to know mm-hmm. that she is not who she says and she is. her husband, her white yeah. friends, she Everything will, will fall everything. apart. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so she is particularly aggressive when it comes to discriminating against people of color because she's so terrified she's going to be found out, mm-hmm. which is like such an interesting paradox where she goes from being part of that community to then rejecting that community to the point where she has to hate them mm-hmm. in order to protect herself and the like safety and the lifestyle mm-hmm. that she's been able to build. Well, yeah. And that actually brings up another thing too that was interesting and tragic is her and her sister Desiree when they were young girls their father was murdered by white men yes in front of them as mm-hmm. as kids and they watched their dad get murdered for no reason other than that he was black yeah and so it's interesting to watch her embrace this white life and like um reject the black life but then she also as she's raising her daughter, has this, like, hatred towards her as mm-hmm. well and, mm-hmm. and struggles with, like, hating her and loving her as she yes. sees her as white mm-hmm. because of what white people had done to her in mm-hmm. her life. And it's, like, this really interesting tension yep. of how she and her daughter interact. And yep. I would say even her husband and the people in the community as well. Yeah. It's, well, and she has this reoccurring trauma that mm-hmm. she doesn't, really tell her family about or anyone but it kind of articulates well it doesn't fully articulate but touches on throughout the book of of that instance where she's hiding in their closet her father is being brutally murdered and she it talks about how she sleeps with a baseball bat and like she it says something along the lines of she never used to do that and so really she's She's terrified of these people that she's, in this culture, she's assimilated herself into. Mm-hmm. She's, like, living in the home of, yeah. like, her greatest fear, in, yes. a, in a sense, and masking herself in order to protect herself from it. Yes. So, like, there's – her father gets lynched mm-hmm. by white men for being black, which is so interesting because it sort of plays with this idea of how race still affects these people in Mallard, Louisiana, even mm-hmm. though they're so light-skinned mm-hmm. that they could be white passing. And separated. They're yes. in their own area. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They're in their own, like, segregated community. Yeah. And um, even though, like, these quote-unquote black people are essentially white in their skin color, mm-hmm. like, they are still getting lynched not receiving equal access to education. They're still having to work as housekeepers for white people. Um, And it shows how arbitrary this discrimination is between people of different skin colors Mm -hmm. that even if people of color, like, get to the point of, like, racial mixing where they are white passing, the fact that they have anything that's other in them is 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 warrant to these white people to to kill them yeah to hurt them to discriminate against them and um actually there's a passage that i really liked um on page 
of the Kindle edition <laughs> that talks about this idea that you mentioned, Kelly, of Stella almost like hating her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, behind her, the crowd on television roared. Blake cheering along, Stella stared into her daughter's face, seeing everyone that she had ever hated. Then she was looking at her daughter again, gazing at her with watery eyes, a hand covering her reddened cheek. Stella fell to her knees, pulling her daughter close, kissing her damp face. I don't know, she said. I don't know. Mommy, sorry. And this is after an instance where Stella has hit her daughter because her daughter uh, said a racial slur at her neighbor Loretta's daughter. Mm -hmm. Loretta is the African-American woman that moved in across the street. And she smacks her for saying a word, the N-word, that she had actually used to describe them previously to her daughter. Mm And it's like wild hearing um, sort of Stella's inner narrative as she goes between both hating and empathizing with the African-American community. Mm -hmm. But here's one thing that I want to ask you guys. (laughs) (laughs) So Stella cultivates this friendship with Loretta. Mm -hmm. Um, She starts going over to her house and spending time with her and getting to know her and um, to the dismay of her white friends in the neighborhood. And... uh, Eventually, their relationship falls apart because of this instance that I just read the aftermath of where Kennedy, as a small girl, says the N-word at Loretta's daughter, who's at the same age as her. Um, What I want to know is, do you guys think that Loretta knew that Stella was black? Because there's some hinting that happens. I wouldn't be surprised because... I think this answer kind of requires some some thought and but I think that we assume that it is an easy internal journey for African American people that um experience racism but I think what is so beautifully articulated in Stella is it's a process right mm-hmm. because you obviously want privilege everyone wants privilege mm-hmm and like there's no reason not to like Mm -hmm. it's it's effective it's efficient it's useful it's not fair um and so i think that's something everyone kind of desires but at the same time they want to feel at home and with their people and so i think long story short yes i do think that she knew that she was black because or that she is of African-American descent because mm-hmm. she was drawn to her, but at the same time, she was quite volatile towards them. And I think she picked up on that internal struggle and dance. And, um, yeah, she just realized, like, in that instance, like, yeah, this isn't going to work out as friends mm-hmm. because she was kind of like using her in yeah. a way to like comfort herself. Mm-hmm. I think to an extent, Stella sort of craved the community that she had left. Mm-hmm. And so she saw Loretta as like a way to satisfy that craving. Mm-hmm. But she was ashamed of doing that as well. Yeah. Because that meant that she was gossiped about by her white friends. Yeah. Who she didn't even really have like, a real connection or vulnerability with. No, and then she would lie to them and be like, I wasn't over there. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's like, okay, queen, I see you. <laughs> I don't... I I mean, I love the question because I think it's definitely out there in the book, but I'm like, 
I I don't feel like the answer can be yes or no, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like we we don't get to know why Loretta hung out with this white passing person, whether she knew she was black or whether she thought she might be a, a curious white person who you know, was more open-minded than she seemed on the exterior. You know, mm. I don't know. Like, I think it's very possible that Loretta could have been, like, underst- understanding of the social implications of being friends with her and so understood the secrecy of it mm-hmm. and just considered it that. But it's also possible that maybe Loretta was comforted to have someone, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I yeah. don't think it's fair to say only Stella used Loretta if we think yeah. that Loretta knew. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's definitely not one-sided. Yeah, and, sure. like, they were a, a black family in a only white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So um, Loretta had to have been lonely. You, you needed know? a friend. You she needed an advocate. Was. Yeah. For sure. I, like, loved thinking about the interactions between Stella and Loretta. Mm-hmm. And um, personally, I feel like maybe Loretta did know. Mm. Um, I'm like leaning in that direction. There's like a few things where it sort of indicates to me that Loretta probably realized that there was something going on with Stella. Um, But I also wonder how much of that is like Stella's paranoia almost rubbing off on me because we get to sort of firsthand experience some of Stella's paranoia around being found out. Mm -hmm. But one of my like favorite and like most telling interactions between the two of them happens on page 178 of the Kindle edition. (laughs) Every time. It says, Loretta reached for the wet glass and knocked it off the counter, the glass shattering at their feet. She stared up at the ceiling, suddenly exhausted. She was too young to look this tired, but she must be fighting all the time. Stella never fought. She always gave in. She was a coward that way. And to me, this is, like, a very interesting um, sort of comparison between Loretta and Stella, both originally women of color, one who has chosen a lifestyle that gives her more privilege as a white passing woman, and the other who has actually gained the same level of, like, wealth and status Mm. that Stella has gained, but by maintaining her Mm. culture and her... um, her, her race, essentially. And so, like, I see some almost envy from mm-hmm. Stella towards Loretta that this is a woman of color who has managed to, quote-unquote, make it um, while still maintaining her culture and her mm-hmm. community, um, but also realizing that Stella doesn't have to necessarily bear the burden of feeling like she constantly has to fight for it mm-hmm. because... At that time, and even now, like, people of color have to fight. And I see so much, like, friends of mine saying things like how tired they are Mm. and how, like, wearing and how um, just, like, exhausting the fight to be considered, like, a full human is. And... um, it's, like, really sad that that's still a thing, mm-hmm. and it's really upsetting. Um, but this – and it's upsetting that this feels 
uh, so relevant right now mm-hmm. that this sentiment that Loretta, who's a woman living in the 1970s or whatever when this was, is feeling exhausted is the same sentiment that I see from other people of color now in 2021. And <laughs> it's like, to me, it's like a reflection on the way that um, progress still needs to be made, mm-hmm. you know? Um, we have made progress for sure. And I'm yeah. not discounting that, but there's still more to be done and people are still exhausted. And I don't claim to like understand that or to know what that feels like, but I recognize it, you yeah. know? And so that felt really pervasive and really interesting to see the ways, I mean, Kelly, you mentioned earlier how this book feels very pertinent to this time, even though Brit Bennett didn't necessarily mean for it to be. Um, but the fact that we have had such a racial reckoning in the past year of people really recognizing that there are racial inequities in our culture that have been here for so long, they're not new. Um, the fact that this book that shows things like MLK being assassinated, that shows the riots happening, that shows the sort of indifference of white people who think that they are, as I said before, quote unquote, the good ones, uh, seeing just even these microaggressions that you talked about, Kellyanne, like Mm -hmm. it's all so relevant to right now um, in a book that is supposed to be historical fiction. But like this history is. It's happening. It's here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There it is. That's my ramble about racial reconciliation. (laughs) (laughs) What are some other things that maybe like other themes in the book or other like things that Brit talks about that sort of like hit you particularly Mm -hmm. or things that stood out to you or maybe some of your favorite storylines? Because there's so much happening. Who is the who is Desiree's? boyfriend early early yes i found their relationship very intriguing why (laughs) i loved desiree and early did you i gotta say yes i i really liked them i think that their love story was really sweet Mm -hmm. um at first i thought that it was sort of like convenient and kind of like okay like this seems like kind of cheesy almost Mm -hmm. um but as it grew it was like very tender to me. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on it? I, I agree. Hear. No, I agree. It was very tender, especially like the type of man he was and seeing how she really melted him in a way mm. and made him want to be like, like he lived this life on the road and like constant traveling and just like a hard lifestyle. He's and a bounty he, hunter. He's a bounty hunter. He, But she... His love for her made him want to actually push towards something that he found uncomfortable, which was having a normal life and, you know, sleeping in a your own bed every night, and, yeah. you know. And, and I mean, I thought it was interesting that there was kind of this coming and going with their relationship a little bit. Like, not that they were together and the not together, more that he was – he continued his – bounty hunter career while also they were together and seeing that like even when he was gone like they both longed for one another and I was like 
I've done long distance. I can <laughs> resonate with that. Yeah. I have too. It's terrible. It's yeah, so bad. Same. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because um, I think that it shows sort of like some of the um, trauma that Desiree has left mm-hmm. over from her relationship with Sam, I think was his I name. I think it was Sam. Her ex-husband. And um, she was abused by him. And so she she feels like she can't really be in a relationship with somebody else. But yeah. because of the nature of Early's job and, and the way that his lifestyle was, it was able to be something sort of it flexible works. and loose that, like, made her also feel safe. Yeah. Where, like, he felt safe because he didn't feel tied down. He had sort of this fear of being tied down. Mm-hmm. But she also had this fear of, like, falling into something that was abusive or harmful again. Mm-hmm. And so she felt like, this is a good thing for me because I can – um he can come and go, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to be my uh, what I'm reliant upon. Yeah, I also appreciated. I, I appreciated and also thought it was interesting that they never got married. Yeah, and I was like, especially for the time, but I'm like, oh, I appreciate that they did what they felt was right for them. Yeah, you know what I mean, and went against the grain. But also, I'm like. You guys clearly desperately love each other. Yeah. Like, and wasn't why it, not? Wasn't it so funny when Reese and Jude come for um, Desiree and Stella's mother's yep. funeral? What's her name? Adele? Adele. Adele's mm-hmm. funeral. And um, Desiree doesn't allow Reese and Jude yes. to sleep together. I found even that though they so live together. hypocritical. And yeah. she was like, Desiree, or um, Jude even recognizes, like, my mom and Early have slept together my for entire childhood, years. forever and ever, for decades at this point. And, and she didn't even, like, bat an eye and was just like, you guys can't sleep together, though. And, like, yeah. was even pressuring Reese into marrying Jude. Mm-hmm. But then Jude also has this tension of, like, Reese and I actually can't get married yeah. because Reese would need another birth certificate because we're not allowed to get married. Yeah. Because at that time, gay marriage was not legal yeah. and his birth certificate yeah. reflected that he was a woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is like, oh, there yeah. it is. Yeah. Whole different. Like, that's a whole different, like, thing that I feel like also could have deserved more space in the book. Yeah. I mean, one thing that um, a video I was watching about the book, um, someone was reviewing it, and they were saying that, like, they could have read an entire book about just, like, one of these characters. Oh, And, do, like, dived into so much more. Mm-hmm. But you just get, like, tastes of each one mm-hmm. throughout this. And it's so interesting, which actually makes me really intrigued to see, like, the HBO series that's going to come out about this. Oh, yeah. And see mm-hmm. if, like, do they dive into any sort of, like, extra literary um, concepts or or storylines that don't get explored in the book. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that Britt Bennett is an executive producer on this yeah. or something. Oh, excellent. And so she's part of it. Do you think that, like, Desiree ha- was able to let Early go because maybe a part of her inside couldn't attach to someone in the way that she had attached to Stella. And so as a form of, like, protecting herself, she was, like, like that sort of relationship where it was distant enough that he could leave but Mm -hmm. also come back. Like, that's how the... That's how she survived that, I Definitely. And I think also... If she couldn't let Early go? She couldn't let Stella go. 
Well, I'm just saying she had like this really tight bond yeah. with Stella who left her and mm-hmm. never talked to her again. Mm-hmm. And so like you would think that being in a relationship with then with somebody who leaves for extended periods of time and you're never really sure when they're coming back and then they come back. Mm-hmm. Like that has to like make you wonder, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That has to be really hard on the heart. And so it oh, feels definitely. like they kept each other at like a safe distance mm-hmm. so that she didn't have to like deal with that inner turmoil of like Mm. is he gonna come back i think though in addition to that she was always hoping stella would come back no for sure she she kept that space reserved for her Mm -hmm. like she was like if i would never want to fill that space because i actually want my sister to continue to have this space in my heart yeah and i think that you see in the book um the expression that, like, to Desiree, like, s- her and Stella were two parts of a whole. Mm-hmm. But almost to Stella, they they weren't. Yeah. And um, Stella, as the, like, younger twin or whatever, like, she was able to sort of detach herself. Whereas Desiree was, was not really capable of that. Mm-hmm. Um, to her, they were... They were one. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you see, like, that, I think that's part of why her and Early's relationship works so well in the beginning. And you see her start to sort of, like, um, really bring Early into being part of her life. And he finally quits bounty hunting after um, decades and starts to work in an oil refinery and is also basically a caretaker for her mother Adele mm-hmm. and well and like throughout the the growing up of Jude he, he's yes. kind of like a second father he is her. for sure um but you even see Jude sort of express that like he was even though he was like a father to her she still had this totally. place in her heart for her biological father even though she was aware of the abuse that her mother had experienced yeah. and that's such a hard tension I feel like for someone who she left her father as a very small child and never saw him again. Mm-hmm. And when you're a small child, like your your parents are like gold, yeah. you know, and it's hard for her, I think, to separate the facts that she knows that her father was abusive and the feelings that she felt as a small child with a dad who loved her, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I think that. It's very interesting when I think about, like, Desiree and Early's relationship in comparison to Stella and Blake's relationship. Mm. Because on the one hand, so here's the thing. When Desiree's husband, Sam, was introduced, I was very apprehensive. I was like, this seems like a harmful trope to me because it was a man of color abusing his wife. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, I remember you told this to me too when you were like in the first couple pages of the book or the first couple chapters. Mm-hmm. You were like, I'm not sure if I like this book because that trope just seems so harmful. Mm-hmm. So, one of the passage that like really hit me, um, which I mentioned earlier in this episode, um, was where on page 17 of the Kindle edition, Adele said. Of course that dark man beat you. What you expect. A spite marriage don't last. And I even wrote down next to that. One of the things that I'm noticing is that the sister who chooses to embrace quote unquote blackness 
is painted as less intelligent, Mm -hmm. impulsive, Mm -hmm. um, and even a thief. Um, And then her black husband beats her. And um, while the white passing sister is loyal, she's smart, she's reserved. And to me, this seems like a dangerous stereotype. And I I basically wrote next to that, we'll see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm like... in early. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I'm very aware that, like, this book is written by a woman of color, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to take that into account as well. It's interesting because um, I think that Kennedy and Jude are also foils for their aunts. Um, so Kennedy being a foil for Desiree and then Jude being a foil for Stella, mm-hmm. um, because they both seem to resemble in personality their aunts rather than their mothers. Yep. So Jude is more reserved, more intelligent, seeking after knowledge, um, is more sort of the, the quiet type, and Stella was also that. She later becomes a math professor, and um, whereas Kennedy pursues acting, she is... Um, sort of more bold, more outgoing. Um, she's the sort of like out there one. And Desiree was also that. You even see that she like acted in her school plays. She like wanted to pursue that, but sort of felt like she couldn't after um, multiple circumstances within her life, including being in poverty and then also having her abusive husband. And I think that, um, I don't think that it was the author's intent to portray that like, a man of color is going to abuse you, which is like what gave me pause when I first read that Sam was abusive to um, Desiree. Um, But I think it was more showing that colorism of like the sort of almost jealousy and the envy that comes with someone having more privilege privilege because they're lighter skinned. Mm -hmm. And I think also you see other characters within the book who are people of color who are not of that nature at all. Mm -hmm. For example, Jude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jude is described as being as dark as they come, basically, Mm -hmm. when it comes to her skin color. And um, she is, like, still um, a very, like, she's she's a good person, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. inside and out. And um, it's interesting because these daughters are, are like, foils for their aunts, is that... um, at first, it seems like the the person who's more like, quote unquote, rebellious has the worst life. So Desiree is more rebellious and she has a worse life in that she is in poverty. She goes back to her hometown. She works as a waitress at a diner for the major- majority of the rest of her adulthood and is just restrained to this town that she tried to escape for so long. And then you see Kennedy who is also the rebellious one, and she's a starving artist, actress. She's rebelling against her family's sort of, like, um, privilege that they've had. Um, But, and then at the same time, you see Stella, who's the intellectual, who's the one who is more, I mean, more basically white, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, along with Jude pursuing intellectual pursuits, pursuing knowledge, pursuing um, scholarship, um, having the quote-unquote better life. 
But really, the people who come out on top are the people who resonate with their own identities and true wholeness more. Mm -hmm. And so that's Jude and Desiree to me. Mm -hmm. Because while Stella and Kennedy both start out with money, they don't both start out with wholeness in who they actually are Mm -hmm. and in accepting their identities. And so even though Desiree has an abusive husband, even though Desiree winds up back in her hometown that she tried to escape, even though Jude grows up in a town that doesn't accept her, even though Jude has so many aggressions against her, even though she thinks of herself as hideous because of her darkness, both Desiree and Jude wind up with lives that are so much more whole, with other people who truly love them as they are and for who they are, with Early and Reese, and then also with them finally basically like achieving their goals Mm -hmm. in Jude going to medical school and us assuming that Jude eventually becomes a doctor. And then in Desiree, while she does stay in Mallard, she um, sees through her mother's death and walks through that with her Mm -hmm. um, and then moves to Houston, which is a bigger city and is a place where she feels like she can flourish and can grow. She um, moves there with early, with her love Mm -hmm. um, and is able to sort of flourish in her life there Um, and so you sort of see that, like, even though Desiree and Jude have radically different personality types, and even though Jude is more similar to Stella, Kennedy is more similar to Desiree, it's these people that actually pursue wholeness within their community and wholeness within who they actually are and not rejecting themselves are the ones that wind up with, to me, what seems like a better life. Hmm. See, I think that gets, like... I don't know, not dangerous, but tenuous maybe? Because to say that, like, this person's life is better than this person, because I think, like... It's hard to quantify something like that. You can't quantify something like that, and you also want to avoid, like, punishing the white-passing person, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you're like, ha, you get what you deserve kind of thing. But, and I do see similarities, like, between the nieces and the aunts but there's also lots of similarities between mother and daughter that are passed down where stella is a web of lies Mm -hmm. so is kennedy kennedy can't even like say anything true she's very emotionally unstable she doesn't know how to form like healthy bonds with other people and that's a result of her mom not really being emotionally available to her at all Mm -hmm. And so both of them are very emotionally unavailable and also, like, struggling to connect and feel a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. or And feeling like they have to hide themselves. Like, Kennedy does this through acting where she, she has to, like, put on a mask in order to feel fully herself. Yeah. And so as we see that with Stella, she's also doing that. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, we have Desiree who doesn't doubt herself Stella doubts herself the whole book mm-hmm. Desiree doesn't I mean she she wonders where her sister is she misses her sister but she like moves forward with her life and she mm-hmm. raises her daughter and despite like you know this entire town talking about her and ridiculing her daughter like she has thick skin and like st- takes up her own space, I guess I would say. Yeah. And I feel like Jude, although 
more timid or more like you know shy like she she eventually steps into that as well where she takes up her own space for sure and both of them have you know more emotional intelligence and connection um with each other and with other people than we see on the other side so i see what you're saying like there are like parallels niece to aunt but there's also parallels mother to daughter for sure i mean i'm saying that too yeah is that like you see like desiree and jude as people who have like come to points of accepting themselves sure and like they like you sort of see desiree accepting jude from the very start even though she is dark-skinned right um and jude struggling with accepting herself as that because of being raised in mallard and and in that culture that so highly prizes light skin Mm -hmm. um but once she does finally start to accept that that through like reese and through um sort of realizing her capableness Mm -hmm. capability Mm -hmm. whatever the right word is um they are then the same in that. Yeah. And and Kennedy and Stella are the same in, in their sort of rejection of mm-hmm. who they are and their inability to really reconcile mm-hmm. within, within themselves yeah. who they are. But then, but then if you look at it, like, from an outside perspective, obviously the person who becomes a doctor, like, she's done well for herself. Mm-hmm. Kennedy becomes a... A realtor. A, a realtor. She does eventually, but yeah. But there's yeah. a point where she becomes a semi-famous actress. Yeah. And a soap opera, multi-season feature, Sure, basically. yeah. Like, she's a featured actress actress in a soap opera for several years. So mm-hmm. she she has, like, arrived to a certain level of, like, cultural affluence, mm-hmm. as her mother has done. Um, and her mother continues. She becomes a professor of statistics. She... Mm-hmm loves math and like goes after that despite it being like a little bit against the grain of what her husband would want so like there are things where you see Stella st- sort of move in the direction yeah. of like who she really she kinda comes is into her own. a little bit a bit a little bit and and so like and then Desiree if she lands in customer service in Texas so like it it's hard for me to say that like yeah she came out on top but, I mean, she did come out with, you know, true relationship and true love. Yeah. Which is important. But like, you don't you don't really see that with Stella and Blake. But if you were to give no. somebody the option of, like, you know, professor of statistics or customer service, you know, like, we don't necessarily, when we make choices in our own lives, we don't necessarily get to know the consequences of those mm-hmm. yeah. ahead of time, right? Like, we have goals that we seek and we do what we can to reach them. Mm-hmm. And when we've arrived, then we find out the things that we sacrificed in order to get there. And that to me is just like, that's just life. And I think like, I totally sympathize with Stella and doing everything she thought she needed to do to make a better life for herself. Yeah. And and like, it seems that she had to sacrifice a lot of who she was in order to do that. But and so in some ways she like encapsulates like the American dream. Mm-hmm. But I think like the the sadness on my part is not necessarily her decision. It's like the the culture and the setting in which she had to make that choice, right? Yeah. Like yeah. making sure to 
when we consider this, when we consider the choices that people make and things like that, <clears throat> focusing on like the context in which people felt that they had to make those decisions rather than like, yeah, like, did she come out on top? Did she lose? Did she win? I mean, everybody loses and wins, I think, mm-hmm. at some level in their life to get what they want. Yeah. Well, part of me feels, though, that like, I don't know that Stella... I'm going to choose, try to choose my words wisely, but I don't know that she would have been capable of making different choices because of the town she grew up in that idolized whiteness. And so she's like, well, if that's what's idolized, that's what I'm going to be. Yeah. Versus Desiree being a different personality type um, rebels against that. And mm-hmm. I under, I get that. I That is my personality type. You tell me I can't do something, I'm like, well, watch me do it. Yeah. But for a meeker personality type, I can see how it's like, well, if this is what I need to be to be successful, I'm going to be that. Yeah. I mean, there's literally a line in the book that says something along the lines of, like, um, somebody who's off limits to love is so much more appealing to love. And I made a comment to that, and I was like, I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, like, makes so much sense to me. And another thing that, like, we haven't even talked about is the fact that Stella, as a young woman, was actually abused by a white person. Right. And so, like, as she is a young, like, 16-year-old woman, she is working as a cleaner in a white family's home. Mm-hmm. Um, because her family can't afford for her to keep going to school. Her and Desiree wind up having to work. And um, she winds up getting molested mm-hmm. and sexually abused by the white man that mm-hmm. that owns that household that she works in. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me to see her see that abuse, feel and experience that abuse and say, okay, I'm actually going to choose whiteness Mm -hmm. because that is going to prevent this from happening to me. She's like responding out of trauma. And you even see her later on in the book dive into more of her reasoning behind choosing to leave Mallard, Louisiana with Desiree. Um, in, in the beginning of the book, it sort of seems like Desiree just sort of convinced her sister who will just kind of do whatever she says mm-hmm. to like come along with her to New Orleans and run away as like these teenage girls. Whereas later on, you sort of start to peel away these layers of what's actually happened to Stella. Mm-hmm. And you realize that Stella would do anything to get out of Mallard because she's experiencing this trauma mm-hmm. regularly. Yeah from a white man that she works for. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of amazing to me that she winds up then marrying a white man mm. as someone who's white passing, that she chooses to almost join the ranks of her oppressor mm. in order to to like, in an in a, in a attempt of self-preservation. Interesting. That's fun. We learned about the we learned. Yes, yeah. we did. F- fight, fight, flight, fight, freeze, flight, freeze, or, or fawn. fawn. Yeah, and Which, it's it's this idea we learned about this in our episode that we recently released with Amanda Lampard about abuse. abuse. You guys, this is actually a very relevant episode yeah. um, to this episode. Um, that fawn is like this idea of sort of uh, 
going towards like consent and being placated mm-hmm. um, because you don't see any other option. And in a way, that's sort of what Stella chooses as her lifelong response. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because I actually saw that, while I agree with what you're saying, I also saw it as a very strategic move because mm. it felt like she was exotic to this white man. And that's why he was drawn to her. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, well, if I am white passing, then this won't happen. Yeah. Because there's nothing unique about me, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it felt calculated. It felt um, intentional to me. Well, and I think that's consistent with her character. But I think you can respond to abuse in a calculated way. Absolutely. I think it was both. Like it wasn't... I picked up more on the calculation, but it was also obviously out of trauma. Because yeah. even when they have sex, like her and her husband, like she has flashbacks. Like, you know, there's no denying that Stella is riddled with the trauma of her abuse and the trauma of her father's death. Yeah. Like that follows her through her life in her experience um, being surrounded by white people yeah i mean you even see that come to fruition in like a really sort of visceral way to me um because you know throughout the story that um stella sleeps with a bat behind her bed Mm -hmm. right she sleeps with this bat and it's so because she she recognizes that um risk Mm -hmm. of her being a woman of color and knowing that what happened to her father who was also almost as light as she was mm-hmm. in his skin color, being lynched mm-hmm. and attacked by white men. Mm-hmm. She sleeps with this bat behind her bed, and one night when her daughter, Kennedy, comes home drunk late at night, she hears her daughter making noise in the hallway, and she comes out with the bat, mm-hmm. ready to, to hurt her daughter mm-hmm. if need be. And to me, like... This is this is an example of both just like the trauma she's experienced and the fact that she lives in this constant fear, but also the fact that her daughter is almost a threat to her because mm-hmm. her daughter is someone who comes from that same whiteness that killed her father. Mm-hmm. And it's like a very like <laughs> visceral and just like emotional situation to imagine your daughter is coming home after a night of partying and whatever, being a teenager, being wild. And your response is, I need to protect myself Mm -hmm. from this person, even though they came from me. Yeah. Well, um, I was actually screenshotted a little section of the book that was after her husband or their parent, their dad had been killed. And, um, one of the local men says, white folks kill you if you want too much, kill you if you want too little. Willie, sh- Willie Lee shook his head, packing tobacco into his pipe. You got to follow the, the rules, but they change them when they feel devilish, you ask me. In the bedroom, the twins sat, legs swinging over the mattress edge and pinched at a piece of pound cake. But what did daddy do? Stella kept asking. Desiree sighed for the first time, feeling the burden of having to supply answers. Oldest was oldest, even if by only seven minutes. Like Willie Lee say, he'd do his job too good. But that doesn't make sense. Don't have to. It's white folks. And so there's this kind of understanding of of people who are white as 
there is no explanation. Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? Why why is there so much hate? It does. It, it seems like it doesn't matter if you're white. You don't have. You're not accountable. Essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can literally do whatever you want. Yeah. And no one will. No one cares. Mm-hmm. So I think what I'm just trying to say is that living in a home with people who can literally senselessly out of nowhere decide, like, your life is no longer valid mm-hmm. and I'm going to take that from you. Mm-hmm. Like, that that makes sense that you would take a baseball bat with you to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. For sure. And it's not like a knock on Stella. It's It's just a recognition of this trauma you know Mm -hmm. and how unsettling it must feel to live a life that's so separate from the way that you were raised yeah you know and just like having to reject like a core piece of yourself totally Mm -hmm. like your twin yeah it's not just your parents it's not just whatever it's it's this person that you look at and you see yourself in right Mm -hmm. but even like to an extent, not opening up and sharing, sharing about that trauma. And so really, in a way, that trauma can never heal mm-hmm. because she's also rejecting that. Yeah. Right? Well, because she never tells anyone no about one knows. her being sexually abused. Yeah. Nobody. Not Desiree. Not her husband, Blake. Not her daughter, Kennedy. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Well, and that just reminds me, too, that, like, trauma is so complicated and like Mm -hmm. the way that someone chooses to deal with it is their own and like when someone steps forward and this ties into our episode with amanda as well when someone steps forward to tell you that something has happened to them the the most important thing you can do is believe them Mm -hmm. and and validate them and help them find resources to get healing because Telling, telling about a traumatic experience or about an, an abuse in a timely manner is not an indicator of the truthfulness of, of said abuse. Yes. So. Yeah. Just a little little, little thingy. <laughs> it's late. Yeah. Cut a gin and tonic. I don't have words anymore. <laughs> we got to wrap okay. this up. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. So speaking of wrapping this up, I feel like there's so much more that I could talk about. And I honestly feel like talking about this book makes me like it even more <laughs> than I did when I just read it. Um, because I also, like, speed read it. I am notoriously the slowest reader of the three of us and, like, forced myself to read it in every spare moment that I had. And um, some of that made me sort of brush over some things, but I feel like talking about this makes me think about it so much more and, like, realize... Um, the ways that different parts of the story were really impactful. Um, so I guess I want to know, like, do you guys have any sort of closing thoughts about the book? Um, was there anything that you haven't talked about yet that particularly resonated with you? Or was there anything that you sort of wanted to leave off our listeners with about this book? I mean, I'm personally kind of in the same place. I... I I see so much value and I love where the author was going. I I see the intention of starting conversation, especially when it comes to fiction. Like people, people want to talk it out. People want to, you know. And so I think the author was masterful in the way she crafted the story, crafted the characters, 
I mean, she's genius. Um, again, it's just not something I would read for fun. But I think um, it's it's good. It's timely. It's something that um, I think is serving a much higher purpose than she might have intended. Um, but yeah, I I'd rather you know sit down and read a little educational book when it comes to these kinds of issues personally. Mm. Yeah. And that's just me. That's my style. I'm a one on the Enneagram. I'm like, give me the facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't just want to hear it. <laughs> what you think? That's it. Mm-hmm. No interpretation. Hoobly goobly gook. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know if I have closing remarks. I guess um, I enjoyed the book. I would recommend it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that there's a lot to unpack. I would really love to spend some time listening to the author more and, mm-hmm. like, other women of color who have read it and, like, hear how they interpret some of the decisions that are made and they, how they may resonate differently. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a book titled The Vanishing Half, right? And it's the implication of half of a whole set of twins, right? There's a sister and a sister and they make up a whole. And so half of it disappears. Stella disappears. Wouldn't you perhaps say that maybe the actual vanishing half is the half of Stella that she leaves behind? For sure. I would also say the half of Desiree that she leaves behind as well. I actually think they both need to embrace their heritage and their culture, but also some of the whiteness that comes with the lightness of their skin. I mm. think it's it's an in the middle. I think it's a both. That is a tension that's really interesting that I've thought about too is that like sure like they're trying the whole sentiment of the founder of this town of Mallard, Louisiana is that he wants to create quote unquote the mo- more perfect Negro as mm-hmm. he calls it. And the, f- the fact is that his pursuit of this requires intermingling with whiteness Mm -hmm. and not solely embracing quote-unquote blackness Mm -hmm. and so like it requires the aid of the oppressor Mm. which is just so fascinating to me and I feel like there's so much you could unpack in that that we don't even have time for um but like you talking about that it's like what does that even mean because the, the the more perfect race is just a construct of of what we presume about race. Totally. When when really like at the core of it, people are people. People right? are people. Absolutely. And, and you even see like there's so many characters we didn't even get to talk about, like Barry. Yeah. Who um is a drag queen who's friends with Reese and and we get to see a little bit of his story and um I think that so much of it is breaking down kind of like what is it that you think Mm -hmm. about what makes a person a person Mm -hmm. and what is it that um, brings someone into um, a position of privilege or Mm -hmm. whatever because even like someone like Barry he's also a teacher he's an educator of young people and so because of that he has to hide this alternate um, life that he lives mm-hmm. of doing this drag queen, mm. uh, these drag queen performances, 
uh, twice a week. Mm -hmm. And that has to be a secret because he's also an educator of young people. and Which is something he loves. Yeah. And I think that um, we often want to put things in a black and white position, but we... Mm -hmm. We, we just can't. Yeah. And, like, somebody like Barry could be somebody who literally taught you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> growing up. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that doesn't de- devalue the, the, the education that they gave you. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And one of the – were you going to say something? I do want to clarify. I didn't mean, like, the whiteness versus blackness. I mean, I think – I you see Stella set down something she's been handed – and then you also see Desiree set something down that she's been handed. I actually think not even in the concept of blackness versus whiteness in this book, but just not setting down something you've been handed, like not setting half of it down, yeah. doing what you can with what you've been given, whether that be privilege, whether that be struggle, and using it to hopefully lift up other people with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and speaking of the title, The Vanishing Half, like, I think that pretty much every character has a vanishing half within this. And it was interesting because I was listening to an interview with Britt Bennett, Bennett, (laughs) and um, she talks about how titles are, like, not her thing and how she doesn't like coming up with titles and she doesn't really excel in that area. Um, and how it was sort of a collaborative effort between, like, her editor and her publicist and stuff and um, and coming up with the title The Vanishing Half. And to me, it applies to pretty much every character. You know, you see uh, ob- the obvious one is, is Stella and Desiree. Mm-hmm. They are identical twin sisters who, who are then estranged. And so, therefore, they have a vanishing half, right? Um, but then, like you said, Stella has this vanishing half of her being a woman of color. Um, that is vanishing as she rejects it and chooses to instead be living her life as a white woman. And then you see Desiree um, sort of putting aside, like, her dreams, her aspirations, putting aside her marriage in favor of the wellness of her daughter and of herself, mm-hmm. and then also of the wellness of her mother. Mm-hmm. And so that part of her vanishes. And then you also see, like, early. He mm-hmm. he has this, like, free, like, bounty hunter lifestyle, and that vanishes in favor of settling down with Desiree. You see Adele have this prejudice against people of darker color than her. And that vanishes to an extent because of early being in her life. Mm-hmm. You know? Or and Jude. And mm-hmm. Jude. And Jude, who she loves, mm-hmm. who's her granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And then you see Jude struggle with being a woman of color, a woman who's dark-skinned in a place that values light skin, and sort of like her starting to reject this idea of her being lesser than because of her dark skin. Mm -hmm. And then you see even Kennedy, who has come from um, a very uncertain heritage, um, start to, to an extent, embrace her heritage as a woman of color, but also not really fully accepting it Mm -hmm. ever. Um, and that's also like a vanishing half 
to mm-hmm. me, you know? Mm. Yeah. What are all the vanishing halves in our own lives? Yeah, it could be so much. It's true. So 131 of the Kindle edition talks about when um, Jude is first starting to take her classes on, like, anatomy. Mm -hmm. And she's learning about the body. And uh, she talks about uh, doing a dissection of a heart. And there's a quote that her professor says that is, you really must experience the heart with her, your hands. And then later on, on that same page, she says, a body could be labeled, but a person couldn't. And the difference between the two depended on that muscle in your chest, that beloved organ, not sentient, not aware, not feeling, just pumping along, keeping you alive. And to me, this was a sentiment that your heart and sort of the the metaphorical core of who you are is um, no different according to what race you are, what gender you are, etc. There's there's no distinction in that. If you are looking at a physical human heart, there's no way that you could say this is a person of color or this is a white person or what this is a man, this is a woman like this is a heart, mm-hmm. and we all share that in common. And then later on in the book, uh, right in the very last chapter, uh, Adele, which is Desiree and Sarah's mother, dies. She passes away, and Stella chooses not to attend the, the um, funeral. Or maybe never knows. Or maybe never knows. Mm-hmm. Kennedy is informed of it, and we don't really know if she chooses to tell her mother or not. Mm-hmm. Um whether it's a choice of self-preservation to not really invest herself in these former relationships that she had, mm-hmm. or if it's actually just a matter of ignorance where Kennedy has chosen for her, um, we don't really know. Um, in my head, I like to think that she chooses not to, mm-hmm. which is my own choice as the reader. But um, on page 342 of the Kindle edition, <laughs> <laughs> um There's a passage that says, um, A strong hurricane could flood the cemetery, the old casket swinging open, filling with brown water. Some grave digger rooting through the mud for gold watches and diamond rings, marveling over his good fortune, would step over the bones, not knowing the difference. And this is talking about how the cemetery where Adele is buried and how this cemetery is actually segregated. Mm -hmm. And um, there was an instance where uh, the people who owned the cemetery chose to clean the white graves and not the graves of the people of color. Mm -hmm. And after much protest, they eventually cleaned the graves of the people of color. And um, this sentiment, to me, was coming from either the the perspective of Desiree or Jude, or I guess the perspective of the like omniscient narrator, but it's talking about how uh, if this cemetery were to flood, no one would know the difference between these bones mm-hmm. because these are people. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's all that they are. And I think that one of the beautiful things that this book explores is that um, the sort of arbitrary nature of choosing just to discriminate against someone based off of their race. 
-hmm. Like the color of your skin on the outside does not change that heart that um, that Jude learned about when she took anatomy and fell in love with learning about medicine and the body. And it doesn't change those bones that the gravedigger would see if the cemetery were to flood. Like these are people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of, that's the core of what the vanishing half is about to me is that people are people <laughs> and, and that's, that's why they deserve value. That's why they deserve, um, equity and equality like there's there's no other reason that they should have to give except that they are people and they they dive into so many different issues so many different controversial things but at the end of the day people are people Mm. you know yeah and that's what hit me about this book (laughs) but um it's it's also maybe a hopeful um a hopeful sentiment too at the end is that with the history of segregation and slavery in our country maybe someday there will be a flood mm-hmm. that that blurs those barriers to the point of non-recognition mm-hmm. yeah and so i'd like to see that someday i would also like to see that yeah i mean i would hope that we could get to the point where it doesn't require a flood or just seeing the actual bones of people but recognizing that people are the same no matter what their outside looks like you know mm-hmm. I think we forget that a lot yeah on that note <laughs> that's our review on the vanishing half by Britt Bennett. <laughs> it's got Very me emotional. Passionate. Is it woman being approved? I would say it's woman being approved. I would say so. I mean, wow, you didn't even really like the book. No, it's and... a good book. It's just not like what I would pick up, you know? Yeah. But it's good. Like, it has good points, especially for people that are just, like, engaging in this kind of conversation around human rights and awareness of you know, the issues that still affect much of our culture today. Like, this is a, to me, this is a gateway towards education. Mm. And so I think in that sense, it was a very, very good book. Yeah. And well done. I say Oprah approved it, we approve it. (laughs) (laughs) I know who Oprah says. Who are we to say, like, yeah, Oprah, you're wrong. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not (laughs) going to, like, go against Oprah. It's not good. I'm not going (laughs) to. I just, like, won't go against Oprah, you know? (laughs) But, I mean, yeah, I think that it's a very powerful message, and I think that stories that sort of normalize and, like, humanize people um, are really impactful in in convincing the hearts of people that think contrary, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, Um, for sure. So I enjoyed this book. Um, I was glad that we picked it. At first, I was skeptical. I went through phases with it, honestly. And sometimes it was hard to read. Sometimes it was really easy to read. Um, There were different characters I engaged with more than Mm -hmm. others. And that's sort of just a factor of a book that hops between different characters and different time periods. It hops a lot. It does hop a lot. And I think that 
that's a fascinating part of the book and that can also be a difficult part of the book Mm -hmm. um if you don't resonate with certain characters as much then it can be hard to read their sections Mm -hmm. um but i really enjoyed it i'm glad that we read it um and on that note i guess we're gonna wrap this up (laughs) and uh close out our discussion on the vanishing half by Britt bennett Um, I'm excited to see what else she comes out with. Mm -hmm. I am also very intrigued to read her first book, uh, Mothers or The Mothers. I still don't know which one it was. (laughs) That's because we've been podcasting this whole time. Yes, I have not looked it up (laughs) because my phone is on Do Not Disturb. (laughs) But um, thank you, ladies, for reading this book with me. You're welcome, Emma. Thank you, you, woman beings, for Picking it out or voting it to the yeah. top. Yeah, you guys actually voted for this book, which was, like, really fun to get to do. And we'll probably do that in the future with some of the other books that we choose. Sometimes we might choose our own because, you know, who cares? But also, <laughs> we want to hear your input. We want to hear what you think. And we want to hear what you think about our book club um, episodes. Yeah. So give us a rating and a review on iTunes or on Spotify or Stitcher or wherever the heck you listen to our podcasts. Give us a comment on YouTube. (laughs) Give us a subscribe. Um, We're on YouTube. We are on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're basically anywhere that you could think that we could be. We are Woman Being Podcast. Um, We're Woman Being Podcast (laughs) on Instagram. And then we are womanbeingcommunity.com. If you want to just visit our website and learn more about us, you can also listen to the podcasts on there. Um, Yeah. So we want to hear what you thought of The Vanishing Half. Uh, Did you like it? Did you not? It's okay. And what did you you drink? Yeah. And what did you drink? What did you drink? While you mold over (laughs) this book. It really gets your creative juices flowing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that's all for now, folks. Good day. See Good night. See you next time. We'll see you next week, next Tuesday, for another episode of The Woman Being Podcast. Next time. Of Bye. next week. Of the next time. That's <laughs> next week. At the we next need week. to go to bed. At the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The one that comes next.